0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Church in Huntsville, Ontario. Harvest Church is a community that exists to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at myharvestchurch.ca. Hey, uh, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of John, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 19 all the way to 34 this morning. In John chapter 1, as we continue in the series through the book of John, as you're turning to to John 1, you look at the uh, early church and and how the gospel just swept through first century Rome. And and you can look at it and go, wow, it was a different time, a different culture. I wonder why it happened there. And and yet when you look at what was going on in the first century where, where Rome was a sophisticated city, Uh, It was jaded for sure, it was violent and angry, it was incredibly individualistic, it was a highly sexualized culture. You're kind of thinking like I'm thinking, man, that just kind of sounds like our our culture today, like it, it seems like it was the same type of culture, and yet the gospel spread through so quickly and so completely, and people were converted faster than you could send them to the lion's. And what you saw was when real Christianity is lived out, it turns cultures completely upside down. The early Christians, they were, they were slaves and prostitutes, they were noble, um, wealthy people, they were world-class scholars, and all together in this gospel community, all drawn by the same message. So what is it about the gospel? What is it about us gathered like this that would turn our communities upside down? We know that it's a, a supernatural work of the Spirit for sure, but the Spirit of God uses the church to accomplish this mission. And, and, and what happens typically is this, the world watching in on us as the church, a church that's alive, that's Spirit-filled, that that's people are then drawn to this genuine community. When they see authentic Christianity lived out, where, where people are forgiving each other, loving each other, caring for each other, living out God's Word with integrity in their lives, And people are drawn into that, and they start asking, what is up with you guys? They're drawn to the attractiveness of a life in Christ. And the early church was for sure oppressed by the Roman Empire. They were oppressed by by the culture. They were standing against that culture, and yet at the same time, in that culture, they shone like stars in the universe. They were being persecuted, and at the same time, so unbelievably attractive in how they lived, in their love, in their generosity, in their purity. And there was something so deeply countercultural about the early Christians that when the world looked in, they were just drawn into that life of Christ followers. But but here's the thing. When, When the world gets drawn into that, what do they see? They see this. Hey, this is not just some sort of religious thing. This is not some list of rules they're following. There's something else going on here. And here's what we hope. Listen, Harvest, our hope is this, that when people are drawn to the gospel being lived out, they wouldn't be introduced to a program. They'd be introduced to a person they meet Jesus. That's our whole gig as Christ followers. We live to display Jesus in our words, in our actions. We live, we live, listen, to introduce people to Jesus because he's the one who transforms lives. And so last week when we started this series, we were introduced to a guy named John the Baptist. His his whole life was about pointing people to Jesus. Look at verse 6 says there's a man sent from God. That's John the Baptist. His name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. This is John. He's not saying, hey, everybody, look at me. Look what I got. He's constantly saying this. Look at Jesus. And it's not that John wasn't a big deal. He was a pretty important guy. He's the forerunner of the Messiah. The angel Gabriel in in Luke 1.15, before John was born, said he's going to be great in the sight of God. He was prophesied about in the Old Testament. It says in in Matthew 11.11, Jesus says this, John's the greatest mortal man to ever live. So so listen, when you you hear John saying, hey, don't look at me, look, look somewhere else. It's not that John was like a backup right fielder in Little League. right He actually had an important role. Don't be offended by that. I was the backup right fielder in Little League, all right? And here we see John getting a ton of attention. If you have your Bibles open, let let me read the passage for us this morning. It says this, and this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, then what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they've been sent from the Pharisees and they they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness, this is the Son of God. Hey, let me pray, and then we'll jump into this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. And I pray that as we gather here on this beautiful spot... Um, God, that our hearts and our minds would be focused on you. That we would gaze on you. That we would see you, Lord Jesus, so clearly see you. That we understand who we are. And in understanding who we are, understanding who you are, we go out on mission to point others to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we got John, John the Baptist, and, and you can read about him in, in some of the other gospels to see more about him, In Matthew, you get a little bit more of an understanding of who he was, and more of a picture of him, and, and he kind of looks like Jesus' rural redneck cousin. That, that's how he kind of presents himself, all right? He's a bit of a weird guy, and, and I just praise God that God uses weird people, amen? Right? I mean, turn to the person next to you. Right? And if you're like, the person next to me isn't weird. You know what that means. All right, so anyway, like, sorry. So, so here's John. He lives out in the middle of the desert and, and no, he, he's eating bugs and honey. I mean, that's pretty rural, right? No Costco, no grocery store, so he's eating bugs and honey and he wears this camel hair, Jedi robe kind of a thing and he comes out of nowhere preaching this message of repentance. So you kind of expect he's going to attract attention and, and, and it says in verse 19, this is a testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Man, I love that question. Listen, listen, when you live in the way of Jesus, when you live like Jesus, like, like John, people will ask you, "Who are you?" There's something so attractive about living like Jesus and, 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 and for sure they might have been asking because he's kind of a nutty looking guy but, but there were nutty people all over the place who would be preaching like John was. What draws the religious establishment to, G, to John, it, what draws this big crowd, there was something about John where people were saying, who are you? Such a great question that as Christ followers, people should, I hope, people would be asking that of us. Who are you? Well, what's up with you? I mean, if if you refuse to be conformed to the pattern of this world, people around you will begin to ask, who are you? And I would say this, if no one ever asks that of you, we we need to look and see, man, am I actually living in the flow of culture so much that nobody would see a difference in me to ask me, who are you? I would say this, if you started eating bugs and honey, I don't think you'd actually stand out in our culture. They'd be like, oh, okay, new vegan kind of gluten-free thing. I love that. That's cool, right? So so there's got to be something that we live differently. What was it about John that we can see for us where people will ask, who are you? There are a lot of ways. I mean, I remember a friend who who we'd invited to church and he'd never been to church before and we invited him out here. He's since given his life to Christ, but he was drawn in by the same question. I remember him asking, what is up with you guys? I've never seen people like that. And what he couldn't understand, here's a way you want to stand out in a world. He couldn't understand the generosity of Christians. He's like, y'all actually give money away like do you really do that he just couldn't figure that out it just it just blew his mind here's another way do you want to stand out where people would say who are you and in philippians paul says do everything without grumbling or complaining and when you do that you will shine like stars in the universe everything without grumbling or complaining the the greek word for grumbling and complaining is where we get our word social media from not really But but think about what happens when people see you in your workplace, in your life, when when they see that you're not caught up in the same grumbling, complaining of everybody around you, they're going to ask, who are you? Later in Philippians, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. I mean, you want to stand out, start trusting the Lord with everything and people will see the trials that you're in and the peace that you have. And they're going to say, we don't get it. You have this peace that passes understanding. Who are you? Where Jesus says this, you want to stand out in our world, Jesus makes it pretty clear in, in the book of John, we're going to get to it later in this series, where he says, just love each other. If, if you guys love each other, the, the world is going to look in and... and listen, the, the world's going to look at the church and they're either going to be pushed away from the church if where they see judgmentalism, where they see backbiting or gossiping or unforgiving or uncaring people and, and the light's not going to shine. Or, or listen, or what if, what if we lived out the gospel for each other and truly loved each other where forgiveness is flowing freely, where we're coming alongside each other to carry each other's burdens, where we're sacrificing for each other, where we're, we're challenging each other with God's word in love. And people will look at that kind of community. Listen, Jesus promises they'll look in on that kind of loving community and say, who are you? Here, what caused the people to ask John, who are you? Really, I think what we're going to see here in this passage, what drove John, what the foundation of his life was about, the center of this will, will be what everything else is built on. John had a view of himself and a view of Jesus that allowed him to live in a way that was so courageous that caused others to ask, hey, John, who are you? Look at verse 27. You can see John's view of himself so clearly. What does he say? He says, I am unworthy. And and then verse 29, he looks to Jesus and what does he say? He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He views himself just kind of a matter of fact. Hey, I'm not not worthy. And his view of Jesus is so loud as he yells out, behold the Lamb of God. John led with this humble view of himself. I I mean, John could have made much of himself, could he not? He's this weird guy coming out of the wilderness and, and right away he's going viral. Like, like crowds are being drawn. He's kind of a big deal. People following him, the Old Testament prophesied about him. Like right in that moment, he could have been like, okay, what kind of book deal can I get out of this? Netflix, could you do a special about me? Because this is going to be good. No, no. Instead, what's it? Verse 20, he confessed. He did, he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. Stop looking to me. They're asking, are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one to come and deliver us? And John says, no, it's not me. Are, are, are you Elijah then? I mean, Here's Elijah, this popular leader, a prophet from the Old Testament, who, who had been prophesied that he's going to come again. And, and they're like, is that you? And John's like, it's not me. No, no, you can see the deep humility of John even in that, because Jesus would say that John came in the spirit of Elijah. Yet John's so intent on being quiet about himself and yelling about Jesus, he wants to keep the light on Jesus. Are you the prophet? Are you the one that Moses prophesied that would come? And John says, no, it's not me. So they're like, then who are you? They need to give this answer back to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees are the ones who are looking intently for the Messiah. So they're like, go see if that's who he is. Go find out who he is. And what's he say? He goes, I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He says, that's all I am. I'm, I'm just a voice. I'm, I'm just a signpost. I'm, I'm just here to point people, to bear witness about the true light that's come. He goes, that's all I'm here for. And so John understands who he is in light of his connection to Jesus, that he wants Jesus to be seen. He wants Jesus to be worshipped. He wants Jesus to be known. He wants Jesus to be savored. That's his whole life. He has this proper view of himself because he's not living to bring glory to himself. He's living to bring glory to the one who's worthy of that glory. And so you see this humility on display in John's life. You see, this kind of humility, I like how C.S. Lewis gives us a good definition of humility. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You get that? It's not that you think less of yourself. Oh, I'm so unworthy. I'm so a worm. No, no. It's just stop thinking so much about yourself. So how do we do that? We put our focus somewhere else. John's putting the focus on Jesus. He isn't yelling, behold, I'm unworthy. He's not even, he's not asking people, hey, look at my unworthiness. And here's the crazy part. I don't think John's even looking at it himself. He's, he's not, he's not looking into the, it, he's saying this. He's just, like, listen, I want you to look at the Lord, my savior. I want you to look at Jesus. Behold the lamb of God. One preacher I was reading said it this way. He said, for every second that John looked at himself, he takes an hour to look at his Savior. And in doing so, he says, he lives with this incredible strength and draws people to see Jesus. Listen, when we're living for our own glory to be displayed, we're on this constant hunt, this search for identity, rather than being content in who God says we are and why we're here. You, You see John's humility again in verse 27. What's he say? He says, he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm unworthy to untie. What's he saying there? He's saying this. Back in the day, um, teachers, you would follow a teacher. You wouldn't actually just go to school, but you'd follow a particular teacher. And as you followed that teacher and gathered around, and you were listening to them and, and, and being served by them, you would actually serve the teacher. You would, you would get their meals for them. You'd do everything to make sure they were okay. But there's one job you wouldn't do that you didn't have to do, and that was take care of their feet. Like, that's a weird thing. Why is that about? Now, think about where you're living in the first century, right? You're at, you're at the beach with no water, right? There's just dirt everywhere, and you're walking all the time in sandals, and there's, there's animals, so you know what animals do, and you, so what you might be stepping in, all right? So you get to that place where you're walking everywhere. There's stuff between your toes that science can't even explain, right? Like, that's kind of where you're at. And so what would happen is the lowest servant would do the work of washing feet. It's why when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, it was such an unbelievable act, of love and grace. And John saying this, hey, for the sake of the gospel, I'm lower than that servant. Now, now when you think about humility like that, there, there are two ways you can go with humility: true humility and a false humility. There is the, the humility that says, I'm unworthy and mean this, I despise myself, I dislike myself. Or listen, or you can have this kind of gospel humility where you say, I'm freed from myself. My image doesn't define me. Wash feet, shirt sure, doesn't matter because, because what I do doesn't define me. I love how Tim Keller, he calls it the blessedness of self-forgetfulness. Your, your self is so lost in what Christ says about you that your focus begins to just come off of yourself. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 4.3 where he says, hey, with me it's a small thing that I'd be judged by you. He's saying, I don't care what you think about me. He says this, in fact, I don't even judge myself, Paul says. He goes on and he says, it's the Lord who judges me. So, so here's what Paul's saying. He's not saying, oh, I'm, I'm such a worm kind of humility. It's not self-loathing. It's not, I'm such a mess. Look at me. He's, he's humble in this way that it's not a self-focused humility. I mean, how often do we feel so horrible because we're looking at ourselves, we're comparing ourselves to others? It drives us to put the focus on ourselves, our needs, our problems, our failings. And Paul says, I actually don't care what you think about me. Now, now he's not replacing an inferiority complex with a superiority complex. The, the world's answer is, I don't care what you think about me because I believe in myself. I find strength in who I am. That's not what Paul's saying. He does something different. Is what John's doing here as well. He says, I only care what God thinks about me. Behold the Lamb of God. Where we look at God, and we would we would say, "Listen, if you come to me on on," and God would hear, God would say this to us. He says, "When you come to me, based on what Christ has done, you're my child. I welcome you into my family." To all who received him, to them gave them the power to become the children of God. And as a Christ follower, listen, this is who you are. You're welcomed in by God, that he loves you, he accepts you, he's forgiven you, he's covered all your sins because of what Jesus did. The verdict is in, it's over. You don't have to live up to it anymore. And God's the only one who can judge you. And in Christ, he declares you his beloved, his his child, the saint. You're you're forgiven. You're an heir to the throne. You're an ambassador of the gospel. So, So here's the deal. You have three choices in the way that you live out your life. You can either live out your life driven by everyone else's evaluation of you. Or you can live out your life driven by your own evaluation of you. Or like John the Baptist, like Paul, you can be driven by what God says about you. There's a reason why there's nothing shy or self-conscious about John the Baptist. Why? Because he doesn't have this self-consciousness of an inferiority complex, and he doesn't have the self-confidence of a superiority complex. He has such little time to look at himself because he's constantly looking to Jesus. He says, look, I know I'm unworthy, but I I know what God thinks about me, and that's good enough for me. God's opinion is the only one that matters. And I can lay aside self-loathing. I, I can lay aside self-aggrandizing. I'm unworthy of all the attention that I give myself or anyone else gives me. And I only want to see Jesus. What he says about Jesus in that statement is so important. He says, behold the Lamb of God. That's the center of John's message. That's the hope that that fills him up. Now, if you were a Jewish man or woman at that time, and John says, behold, the Lamb of God, you would know exactly what he was saying. But for us, we kind of need to do a little digging to figure out why is that such a big deal? Well, in the Old Testament, you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve sin against God. And right away, as, as that sin comes in, they try so hard to cover themselves. It's really just they're, they're trying to deal with their shame and their brokenness, making up their own religion, really. So they grab fig leaves to cover their shame. And, and we do this all the time, don't we? We're, we're grabbing success. We're grabbing people's opinions. We're grabbing our, our looks, our smarts, anything we can grab to say, I'm okay, look. And God in his grace takes the life of an animal and makes skins for them to clothe them. God takes care of the covering for them. You keep tracking through the Old Testament and you see where Abraham, God asked him to go give his son to God to sacrifice his own son. And Abraham climbing up this mountain, he's going to sacrifice his kid. And his kid Isaac's like, hey dad, like I see the wood. I see we got fire. We're obviously going to make a sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says this, God will provide a lamb. Which means this, son, if, if God provides a lamb, you don't have to die. And God did. Hundreds of years later, you see the children of Israel in Egypt, in slavery and oppression, and God sends out this angel of death into Egypt to, to That's judgment on the wickedness of that culture. And the angel of death is going to strike down every firstborn and every household. And God said, here's the thing, though. If you what? If you kill a lamb, put its blood on your doorpost, the angel of death will pass over. And so for generations, year after year, Jewish people would celebrate Passover as a reminder of that event. And the message, again, is the same. If a lamb can be slain, you don't have to die. Isaiah 53 then says, a lamb is coming that will bear all of your sins. And now John sees Jesus and he cries out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Jesus came before me, John. says, John's older than Jesus. So why would he say that? He's saying it because this is the eternal God, the Son, who's here. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now for John, it all comes together now. There's this substitute that stands in my place. The one who's done everything I need, paid everything I owe, it's Jesus. Everything's changed in his life now. Everything. Like it says in Exodus, the the look and live, where where the children of Israel are told to look up on the bronze cross and look up at the bronze serpent and you will live. The look and live. Fix your eyes. Gaze on Jesus and you find life. Everything that's inclined to draw us to self-pity, covered by Jesus. Everything that's inclined to, to draw us to self-confidence and superiority, it's done away with by Jesus. And now we can say to our heart, yeah, I know I'm unworthy. But Jesus loves me completely. The Father forgives me and accepts me as his child. So, so heart, settle down a little bit. This kind of view makes you Bold. We're going to see later in the book of John where John calls out King Herod very boldly, very clearly, knowing that there'd be consequences for what he did. He actually ends up in prison and is later beheaded. John was so fearless. How? Because his identity is sure. By beholding Lamb, you you become bold. By beholding Lamb, you're so gracious and loving. And the secret of John's confidence, it's not self-confidence. The secret of John's boldness is not a a, a self-boldness. The secret of it is that he beholds Jesus every day. So church, listen, as children of God, we are loved by the Father. You're kept by his Son. You're sent by the Spirit into the world to live out this mission that he's called us to, not to show off our little bit of glory, but to point people to what's most gloriously beautiful, to say, behold the Lamb. This identity in Christ, this is what fueled John, this relationship we had with Jesus, it, this identity fueled his mission. Because these Pharisees are asking the question, looking for the Messiah. And here's they say in verse 25. You see how John's view now moves him to mission. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? They get it, that who you are determines what you do. And he says, why are you baptizing if you're not Christ or the Messiah or the prophet? And John answers in verse 26. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm unworthy to untie. So John responds back to his identity. I'm just pointing to Jesus. That's who I am. I'm not not worthy of even the lowest level of a a job of a servant in the home. I'm just a voice, verse 33. He says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is who baptized with the Holy Spirit. So so John called by God to baptize with water as what? As this preparation for the Jewish people to say, hey, get ready because the Messiah is coming. It's, it's not the same kind of baptism we're going to celebrate today. We're going to celebrate in a few minutes. We call it believer's baptism. Different than John's baptism, right? Believer's baptism practice all through the New Testament. People hear the gospel, they believe, and they're baptized. They're baptized as this profession of faith in Jesus Christ. This outward symbol of something that's already happened internally. In fact, the, the word baptize, it's, it's just a word transliterated from the Greek, which is baptizo. Simply means to dip, to dunk, to submerge. The word is actually found in an ancient first century cookbook with how to make pickles. For real, this is take the cucumber and baptizo it in boiling water, then baptizo it in vinegar, right? So you, you kind of get the idea of what the word means. And, and so, so here's where we land as a church, though. The, the mode at which you get baptized in its symbolism, it, it's important because it, it shows us I've died with Christ and I've been raised again with him. But, but, but the, what's more important is the timing where we see Scripture clearly teaching it's believer's baptism. You're a believer and now you're told, as Scripture calls us to, to this outward act to profess to everyone, hey, my old self has died buried with Christ, and I've been raised again to a new life in him. We're going to see that acted out today. And I can't wait to celebrate that. And here's something I'd like to say. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized, God made it really warm today. <laughs> Honestly, if you want to be baptized and you're a follower of Christ, you're like, man, I've never taken this step, then, then I'd say, man, just jump in your clothes. Let's do this. Then jump in your car or jump and find somebody who can lend you something and come back for the barbecue. I don't know, but, but don't let this moment go by. If God's pressing on your heart. Now it says here that John says he's going to, Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, what's that all about? I mean, it's so good. It's so good. He, here's what he's saying. He's saying this. There's this power that you can have in you as a Christ follower in this, to, to live out this Jesus-proclaiming way we're called to live, where, where, where it's not just Jesus saying, hey, think in a new way. Or act in a new way. No, there's a spiritual, supernatural change that can happen in you as you behold Jesus. I mean, Jesus told his disciples, it's better for me to go. Because if I go, I can send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. It's to your advantage. that He will guide you into all truth. And, and this is what Jesus says. He will glorify me. And so with the spirit in you as a Christ follower. To guide you into all truth. To make scripture come alive for you the Spirit in you to empower you to live more like Jesus, to live a life that points people to Jesus. If you're a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit, listen, you're a whole new person. You have a whole new life with a whole new power and a whole new joy in you that allows you to live out this life of beholding Jesus and living like Jesus. It's a Spirit that proclaims to you that you have a new identity. And as you see yourself rightly, as you see who Jesus is, this changes your life. We're going to celebrate even now um, a couple people getting baptized. They get themselves ready. Let me wrap this up with one last example of this. So we see very quickly here the the account of Christ being baptized, but in the other Gospels we see a little more detail added to it. Matthew 3.16, we see John baptizing Jesus, and it says that as Jesus came up out of the water, as the Spirit descended on him, It says, the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to a rest on Jesus. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. You see the whole Trinity at the baptism here. You see God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. And what does the Father say? He says, behold my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Let me ask you this. What has Jesus done up to this point? I mean, God the Father looks at Christ, his begotten son, his only begotten son, and, and, and Jesus hasn't healed anybody yet. He hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't walked on water. He hasn't preached a sermon. He hasn't led a Bible study. He, he, and, and yet God says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Do you, you see what we've been talking about with John the Baptist? This is so important in the gospel. Listen, the verdict comes before the performance. Every other relationship you have, it doesn't work that way. The performance comes first. If, if you're dating right now, it's a performance, and you're hoping that the verdict comes through, right? At work, you're, you're performing, and they're saying, well, we'll see how well you perform, and, and, and we'll give you a verdict to tell you how you did. Every other religion based on this, give it your best shot, and when you get to heaven, let's see if it played out okay. If you're in Christ, listen. I want you to see the heavens open up, and for you to hear the voice of the Heavenly Father saying this about you, Behold my child in whom I'm well pleased. That's the foundation we stand on that creates a new heart. How we see ourselves in Christ and propels us into a new way of life. A life not built on the sand of other people's opinions of us, or other people's approval, or not built on the shifting sands of our own approval of ourselves, but on the blood-bought approval of our Heavenly Father through the Lamb that was slain on our behalf. That good news creates this kind of community. A new community, a community of people living out the gospel, a community of people that will cause others to look in and say, who are you guys? And the point in our lives then is to point people to Jesus. So I mean, I don't care if you're John the Baptist or John the plumber or John the stay-at-home mom, it doesn't doesn't matter. No matter what you're doing, I pray that you have this spirit-filled confidence in knowing who you are, knowing who Jesus is, and then living a life that causes people to come to you and say, who are you? And you can say, I, I don't need to tell you much about who I am, but I can tell you who he is. Let me point you to Jesus. Listen, our identity is settled. You are forgiven and free in Christ. Our mission is clear. Display Jesus to the world. That's why John the Baptist came. That's why Jesus came and died and rose again. That's why the Holy Spirit was given to each one of us. That's why we're here to, to live as those who are children of God on the mission of God for the glory of God. So here's my challenge for us harvest. Let's fix our eyes on the Lamb of God. Let's keep our gaze there so we can forget ourselves. We can lay down self-loathing. We can set aside self-aggrandizing. We can put away all the me first stuff to be able to say, I don't care what people think. I don't care what I think about me. I rest in what God thinks about me. And so I want to proclaim so boldly, so loudly, behold the Lamb of God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray even as we um, begin to celebrate those who have taken the step of new life, God, I pray that we would, we would see you, Lord Jesus, that we behold the Lamb, that we would see the cross, and we'd see, see you, Lord Jesus, in a way that washes everything else away. So, so we would drop to our knees in repentance and worship and, and when we get up from that place, we would, we would, we would know that we're made more and more like you, Lord Jesus, and, and step out with this hope of the gospel for all of us. That we're so filled with your spirit in a way that we live so counterculturally that the world would look in and say, Who are you? And we'd be able to introduce them to you, Lord Jesus, and see more lives changed by the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.